You're listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hi, I'm Robin Whittaker. And I'm Sally Douglas. And we're here in Easter 6. We are, and the readings that we're looking at today are Acts 17, 22 to 31, Psalm 66, 8 to 20, 1 Peter 3, verses 13 to 22, and John 14, 15 to 21. But we'll be focusing on the New Testament readings today. Yeah, we will. And of course, in the season of Easter, the first reading where we're used to getting an Old Testament reading, we get... Um, this year a whole lot of Acts. So yeah. we're going to start with Acts 17, mm. 22 to 31, which is quite a famous speech of Paul at the Areopagus. Yes. Um, but do we need a bit of context here? Well, I love the context just before this. Mm. I think they're not thrilled with Paul. No. <laughs> it's this, like there's been a lot of trouble in a lot of places so they just like, let's just get him out of here. Yep. They drop him off and leave. <laughs> and so I can get this sense of him walking around Athens trying to get his head around this um, really vibrant place that is full. Like I love this language just before our reading talking about they're always into everything that is new. There's, so yes. this culture that's alive with conversation about what's going on and he's waiting for people to come to him and trying to take it all in but probably not from a place of strength Um but in a yeah. quite vulnerable place, maybe. I think so. And we also get just before this in verse 16, as he's walking around Athens, we get this language of being deeply distressed. Yeah. Um, he's troubled by seeing a city full of idols. Um, and then he's also arguing in the synagogue with Jews. So there is this kind of tension and, I mean, something quite heartfelt for all of Paul's foibles. <laughs> he can I be a controversial so figure, yeah. but he's... He's moved in, in disturbed by what he's seeing. Yeah, and obviously all of this is from the perspective of the author of Luke Acts. Yep. So this is not what Paul says about it. This, so no. we have to remember that we're reading it through a particular lens. But it is fascinating. Like There's almost like a cultural shock for Paul in this context where there yeah. are so many idols. And, and it's a place we're going to hear in a moment um, full of philosophy, like the yes. live debate about what is the meaning of life. Really amazing context to be in. Yeah, and Paul, I mean, he's travelled around, but he's not Greek, so he is he he's, he speaks Greek, yeah. he can write in Greek, yeah. but he's in a new place. Like yeah. this is um, and the Areopagus for people who've travelled to Athens, you often do these tours, and up near the Acropolis, there's this stony bit, and people like to say, "Oh, Paul stood right there and spoke." Well, yeah. maybe um, it, it's a bit contested whether at this stage in the first century it's a place or whether it is actually a way of referring to a council. council yeah. yeah, so actually a group of people. So whether Paul speaking at or to the Areopagus is speaking to a group of people yeah. that are kind of saying, give us an account. Yeah, tell us more about this philosophy. Yeah. yeah, and there are particular rules in Athens about whether a new religion can be started, so how are you going, mm. how are you uh, – what are you what are you suggesting to us about this particular form of faith? I feel yeah. like this con this imagery of Athens is a bit like New York, like it's all happening. There's yeah. so much yeah. going on. vibrant, kind of, yeah. yeah. Like so, he's trying to find his way and make his argument within this context that's already got a whole lot of other stuff going on. Yeah, and I mean, we get really interesting language that draws, as you said, Sally. Um, you know, this is Luke's constructed speech, yeah. and, and I find it hard because. 
this gets used so often to be like, Paul was this amazing apologist. Well, Paul in his own letters talks about being a terrible speaker, yeah. right? But Luke has made him this incredibly successful speaker. Mm. Um, and he speaks here a bit like a philosopher. He's using language of, I see how very, very spiritual or extremely religious, this um, Desi Daimonisteros word, mm, um, mm. You, you know, you're, you're – it's a comparative, so you're very religious people. Yeah. Um, your city's full of idols. This will be the sort of starting place for what he does. And instead of going negative, yes, he actually decides to be positive according to the author. Yeah. And I, that's a really interesting choice and, a, and an excellent choice, I would think, though uh, to, to use that philosophical way of arguing to try and draw people with him rather mm. than just uh, getting them offside at the very start by saying, what are you doing yeah, he finds common ground. Like, I, I mean, I traced about four major claims in here. So, I mean, the first is basically that we all know there's gods, yes. right? Like, and there's strong agreement. It would be extremely odd at this time to not believe in some kind of divine being. The Epicureans are a bit yeah. sus, but yeah. 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 <laughs> sus on God, but yeah. yeah. But, you know, so talking about gods is, is normal. And then, you know, um, you know, God is a creator. God makes things, mm. you know, and that's the comparative we can come back to versus idols where humans try and make gods. Mm-hmm. Um, humans search for God. So mm. all of this would have been quite, you know, yep, yep. You can imagine people not, nodding yeah, along. That's right. Um, and then he goes, we know God through Jesus. Mm. What? <laughs> like, who, who is this? Who is this? And we'll start to talk about resurrection. Yeah. And I think that's where, so we've got strong agreement and then he pops Jesus in. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's, it's amazing. And I think for us to think about too um, that notion of how religious people are in terms of the gods, like, there's so many gods in this cultural mm. context. So I almost think uh, the Marvel universe is helpful to think about in terms mm. of people. I'm not saying that people believed in the same way that deities are presented yep. in Marvel movies, but we're so, we've been so narrowed down in our understanding of the ancient world that we think either of often people think of an old man on a cloud or nothing, where in this cultural context, there were so many gods, so many temples, uh, different deities for different purposes. And so he's speaking into this context and then saying, Actually, this particular one is the God one. So it's a it's yeah. it's entering into it and then uh, flipping and it's on its head. Yeah, exactly. Um, what other themes do you take out of this, particularly for for preaching? What what can we? I think there's some really interesting things. First, he focuses on the resurrection. That's the central yeah. message. So, so often I feel like we focus on the cross without the resurrection. I'm not suggesting that we flip that. No. But, but that we at least hold hold the two together because the cross um, is nothing but a tragedy if there isn't actually risen life. Yep. And so, um, yes, the God one comes to us in this way of radical nonviolence, but, oh, my goodness, in the resurrection, we discover that that radical nonviolence is actually stronger than all the powers of empire. Like yeah. it's in holding those two things together, I think is really important. Yeah, exactly. And and the, he doesn't shame people. I mean, he uses no, language of human ignorance and, and there is language here of repentance as in turn around. Yeah. But, you know, to go to your point, we, we don't have – it's not a classic um, – sort of more evangelical speech of your your horrible sinners going to hell. Correct. Repent because of Jesus on the cross kind of thing. We actually get you're seeking God, you're, you know, God gave us life. Yeah. Um, you didn't really know who that God was. That's what you have to turn away from is your ignorance. Yes. Um, but, you know, this is what we have. We have this assurance through the resurrection. Absolutely. So I feel like for all of us, preachers and people who are attending worship, what an invitation to think about sharing our faith because I think in the United Church we're really nervous about doing that. Mm, true. Um, and 
sadly we don't. And I think part of that is we're afraid of being Bible bashers or um, we've had mm-hmm. maybe negative experiences in the past of people doing that kind of thing that you were referring to before of the altar call, you're terrible, repent. Yes, yeah. And so if there aren't other models of how to share faith, it can be actually difficult to imagine. Yeah. And so I think how – as we hear about this account, how can we build on other people's knowledge and searching in affirming ways? Like that's a really important question. Yep. And find common ground because that's what he does. I saw, I saw your altar yes. to the unknown God. It doesn't go and say, and that's terrible. He says, that's awesome. Let me tell you about that God. You know, so it's yeah. a building on it. Um, and he shares his faith with grace, like as you mm. said before, not condemnation. The other thing at the end of the count, it says only a few believed. Like they're I just know. like, bits, this is a bit strange. I know. <laughs> now, I think that's comforting. So it's not yeah. outcome driven. No, that's true. That's true. And and it's because it is radical and it is new and because yeah. not everybody will be able to hear, right? It, it's that's it's right. very human. Um, And there's clearly some, we get this language of scoffed and they're like, Pfft. yeah. And others who go, we'll, we'll hear more about this. I like, love it. I'm, yeah. So instead of people, because I, I, in our culture, which is so success driven and numbers driven, mm. to have this model of grace and yes. um, support. And it's not all brilliant at the end. Yeah. And so to think about how we might share our faith openly and gently, but without worrying about the outcomes. Yeah. And it's also, it's this invitational sort of conversation starter. So I love the we will hear. We'll, we will hear you again about this yeah. Um, because so often again in our culture it's this polemical you're with me or you're against me, you yeah, agree correct. or you disagree. Instead of saying I'm intrigued, I'm actually curious about your yes. experience, how about we keep talking? Yeah. Like, um, But I love your idea of, of, of sharing faith and what would it look like to share our own sort of faith journeys, our own sense of the spiritual and where we encounter the divine, yeah, including our doubts in that. Absolutely. Because we might find the common ground in those yeah. kind of places. And I think uh, worship is one of the contexts where we can almost practice that. Yeah. Um, because it can be quite nerve-wracking to do it outside church. And I know people are nervous inside church too, but it can be a really gentle invitation. Turn to the person next to you and talk about why Jesus' yeah. resurrection matters to you. Yeah. Or why Jesus right. matters to you. The other line I love, I think if I was preaching, I'd want to play with this and and maybe even some contemporary poetry. In verse 28, we have this reference to the poets, so he uses their own also poetic traditions. But we get this, in him we live and move and have our being. Yeah, womb imagery. Yes. So what does it mean to live, have our being in God? Yeah. To him, you know. Dwell in, live in. Dwell in, yeah. yeah. Um, Which again invites the kind of reflection you're articulating, Sally, I think. Mm. It's really deeply beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And we'll link to I think where we're going to end up in John where living and breathing and being in God Amen. is how we live out the faith in love. So there's a lovely connection Absolutely. we'll get to in a moment. Yeah. So should we go to First Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 13 to 22? I think we should. Let's dive in just a little bit at least. So we don't know who wrote this text. It is, uh, though, taken up in the early church as a really important text pretty soon. So mm-hmm. it's an early text. Some biblical scholars argue there's no way it could be by Peter because the Greek's too sophisticated. I think that's an argument from silence, which I find mm-hmm. unconvincing because we don't know. We have no idea about mm. our literacy. It may have been written by someone in Peter's community. It may go back to Peter. I think there are intriguing connections with um, various aspects of Jesus' ministry which possibly point to a connection to remembered encounters. Mm -hmm. Uh, But 
the context is it's to a whole lot of communities which are spread across modern-day Turkey and there's increasing harassment. It's now um, most majority of biblical scholars would say it's probably not full-on persecution but there's harassment increasing. Mm-hmm. People are getting really um, suspicious, annoyed, frustrated by these Jesus communities and um, there are real concerns at the time like if these Christians aren't making sacrifices, for example, to the various deities, which is a civil duty expected. Yep, yep. And then there's a famine. Well, who caused that? Yes, that's right. Yeah, Christian, you know, there's that kind of vibe increasing. And they're, they're living in pretty countercultural ways too with different cultural groups living together, slaves and free people trying to be in community together, women and men as leaders. So there's a whole lot that would be yes. um, disrupting the, the cultural The culture, concept. definitely. Yeah. Yep. So what, what I find really interesting, um, so the context is that here in this part of the letter, the author's talking about how to deal with suffering, which is a pretty uh, integral question for everybody really. Cause yeah, it is. And it's, it's a big theme in this, in it, this text. Yeah. Yep. I love this line here, do not fear what they fear. It's a really mm. interesting, like kind of hoping to um, draw them from their current perspective of the suffering just to a, almost standing back a bigger perspective around we have faith in this God one who suffered like us yep, um, and who is raised though. So the suffering is not the end of the story here. Yes. I mean we also get this language uh that links a bit to the Acts account. If yes. you were going to sort of focus on that, you know, be ready to make your defence. So, it, I mean, the language defence sounds really strange to our our ears, but the Greek word there is where we get apology from, so, yeah. uh, you know, apologetics. Yep. But, you know, be ready to kind of give an account of your faith, mm-hmm. really. And then um, with? With gentleness and reverence. Holy, like, holy. Yeah. Now, wouldn't you wish that so many church leaders had read that line? <laughs> <laughs> and taken it to heart. Yeah, all of us. All of, like, so Because it does feel like we have this extreme kind of, you know, there's the dominating Christian kind of voice and mm. then there's the don't want to say anything to offend anybody kind of, you know, and we all probably fall in one of those extremes or the other. But how this is a challenge to hold um, the truth in the middle, to ha- be able to have words to ex- genuinely from your own perspective express your convictions. Yeah. But with gentleness and reverence like to actually respect and revere the people you're speaking with like that is just a beautiful invitation yes so you're that's interesting because you're reading that reverence not reverence for god but actually reverence for the other yeah i'm reading it for the other yeah Yeah, yeah. i like it yeah i like it and again i mean a bit like the act speech we get a kind of a, a a a more traditional walking through the gospel here in verses 18 following yep you know christ suffered for sins he was put to death um he, you know, we get this interesting line about he made proclamation to the spirits in prison. Yeah. So, so death here, like the, the three days he's dead, is imagined as a as a prison, right? So, goes to that whole theology of resurrection and the cross and what God has done is breaking open the prison, the captivity of death, the force of death. Um, but we get to resurrection as well. I mean, ultimately, it's the resurrection and ascension that empowers all of this. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, like the the the. Spirits in prison stuff is highly contested and, yes. and and so whether it's in the three days or whether it's after he's raised and are we talking yeah. about um, the Enochian spirit, which is another whole story. We yeah, there's layers. Layers and yeah. layers here. Um, what it certainly points to is a different cosmology than the one that we have yeah. right now, at least in Australia. Yes, <laughs> yes. This moment. In the modern Western world for yeah. the most part. Yes. But it's fascinating. But it, regardless of how it's understood in, in the first century, this sense of um, – the one who 
is the God one has suffered with us. So we're not suffering on our own, but again, is the victorious one. So this, um, yeah. there is hope. Have hope because this is not the end of yeah. the story. I think the way it talks about suffering is tricky. And if you were using this passage um, mm, to it address, because it talks, it has a sense of God ordaining the suffering. It does. Um, and that can lead down tricky paths. Mm. It, it does. And, and this kind of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of almost good. It's better to suffer if you're doing God's will, which is better than suffering for doing evil. That's a comparison being yeah. made. So we need to read that in context. It's like, because the, the logic here is, if you, well, if you suffer for doing something bad, well, that's just a consequence Correct. of yeah. being evil. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's pointing to Christ as a model that if you're suffering, that's not a sign that you're evil or yes. sinful. It's a sign because the righteous also suffer, right? That's right. And, and this is a shared human reality. Yeah. But there's hope. That's right. And I, th- I think that's really important. So this sense of like if people, particularly within the early Christian community, people who were from higher status who were used to respect um, and prominence or belonging were suddenly finding themselves on the edges or ridiculed and mm-hmm. so on. So that sense of suffering is not shameful, you know, that kind yeah. of sense of it, but but it uh, can be in God. So that's setting apart. The other thing that I think is good, well, could be explored more in that passage is because our culture – probably forever, but particularly now in our culture, there's a sense of if you um, do these three things, you won't suffer. You know, if you Mm. eat these foods or if you um, (laughs) live in this way, you'll be hashtag blessed and so on, which is clearly not true. Um, Unexpected suffering comes to so many people who are living in beautiful ways. So this honesty about there is suffering um, Mm -hmm. and God is with us in that. If, If I would, I think I'd want to talk, maybe talk about, Pick up that theme. Yeah, pick were. up that theme if we're exploring it. Yeah, and I, I do think with these kinds of passages, if you're going to read it, I mean, at least in our tradition, Sally, in the yes. Uniting Church, we don't always read all four readings. Yes. In some traditions you do regardless. But yeah. I tend to think if you're going to read a passage about suffering or that's potentially a bit tricky, it's good to then actually address it. I agree And completely. help people unpack it so that someone doesn't leave thinking – Yep. you know, something really problematic. Because we all bring our stuff yep. and so we will hear it through the lens yeah. that we have um, been formed by. So I mm. totally agree. And if there isn't time to address it, maybe don't have the reading. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I mean, back to that gentleness and reverence. Yes. Uh, again, there's, there's something here about just speech and sharing who we are and our faith um, and not just in when we talk explicitly about faith but mm. our posture in the world as Absolutely. Christians. Absolutely. Again, in this, I'm, I'm just thinking – you know, in Australia, we're seeing, and I think we're simply following America in this regard, mm. where Christians feel under attack, mm-hmm. um, certain groups of Christians, mm. and we get this language of persecution. Yes. Um, but the response to that is so often to go on attack in, in, right, in reverse yeah, and to engage right. in what we're calling culture wars and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And yet, you know, the advice of Peter here, whoever this Peter is, yeah. Um, is if you're under attack for your faith, well, respond with gentleness, gentleness and reverence. reverence. Exactly. Which so is what Paul does in the Acts, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's never an excuse for the kind of harsh polemic no. of the culture war sort of thing we're seeing out of certain Christian sectors. And I, th- I actually think that this call is deeply uh, Christological mm. because uh, these early Jesus communities know about how Jesus responded when he was under attack. Yes. He responded in, in radical nonviolence. Um, yeah. Both in his words and his deeds, um, in particularly in the passion, but throughout. And so, how do we take seriously if this is the God one? Then this is 
modeling who and how God is. And that's what we're called to as we become more Christ-like. So John 14, yes. pick, I mean, in some ways picks up that, that theme we were just talking about mm. in verse 15. We start with a command to love. Yeah. So, right, we've gone from gentleness and reverence to if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Yeah, it's a really embodied sense of mm. love here. Absolutely. And so the wider context, just to remind yep. ourselves, is we're back on the night that Jesus is betrayed, Jesus has washed their feet. Then there's this very extended farewell speech in John's gospel and I, I know people sometimes like, oh, there's so many weeks on John, but I think it can be really precious to to dive into this, uh, to these reflections. Now, authorship is debated again with John. Yes, yes. Um, some saying it's quite late, one twenty. Some saying it might be earlier. I am obviously like we don't know, so I tend to be agnostic. However, I am uh, intrigued by the notion that it's perhaps a combination of two. So it has. Um, elements of eyewitness within the yeah. account, um, but is written later because I think yeah. it has that sense, that texture to me at times. And so s- some of the details seem like eyewitness account, I think, to me. So yeah. this sense of this remembering what Jesus talked about in the context, he's just washed their feet, said, I've given you a new commandment, love one another. And then again, as you said, we hear about the call to to love, like to embody our love in love. Yes. Like our love for Jesus in our love for others. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I mean – I actually normally I don't like particularly that the lectionary means we encounter the text in these piecemeal ways. Yes, yeah. But in the case of this farewell speech in John, if you read through all three chapters at once, it's a kind of overwhelmingly long speech with really all sorts is. of things it going is. on. I, yeah. I find it difficult. Yeah. So actually, just being able to reflect on a few a verses bit. at a time is quite helpful. Yeah. Um. You know, in in chapter fifteen where we're heading, um, you know, we'll get that famous sort of saying of Jesus about, you know, no greater love has anyone than to lay down Mm -hmm, their life for their mm, friend. mm, You know, mm. he's warning them about, I'm going to the cross. Mm. This is what love looks like. Yes. Um, But here we begin with, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments. And, of course, we start to encounter this advocate or paraclete. So. What is that? Let's oh, talk about that let's language. Do that. Well, and so, as part of that, true, is this image, this assurance. I'm not going to leave you orphaned. Like so, oh, this, yeah. to, this talk about I'm going to be going, and so that's part of the conversation which we've already um, heard a bit of last week. But I'm not going to leave you orphaned, yes. which I love this, like because John's gospel begins by saying that the prologue is about becoming children of God. So this mm. invitation into this deeply familial relationship with God, and then of yeah. course with one another, it, like it's pretty profound, pretty significant disruption of imagery of God in the first century, in, yes. you know, in the quicker Roman context yep. at least. So within that context, Jesus speaks of Holy Spirit as advocate. And I just I love this imagery, Robin. Yeah. So, you know, so many in so many churches, and it's fine, it's fine, but so many churches, the imagery of the Spirit is a dove. Yes. Um great. Yep. However, but, yeah, a very peaceful dove very at that, peaceful right? Like dove. a very calm Yep. Floating down yep. sort of quite image domesticated of, image yep. of peace. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So when I think of um advocate, well like if you think of an advert in the in the cultural context, mm. um last time this reading came around in the order of worship, I had an image on the front of someone with a megaphone. Ah, yes. So how do how do we think about the third person of the Trinity as an advocate who might actually be quite confronting for us, Mm. waking us up from our own self-deceptions or the deceptions of our culture or the deceptions of the church um, and calling us to change. Because I think that um, we really sometimes 
risk making the Holy Spirit just um, almost invisible, like a third person of the Trinity who we remember occasionally, you know, rather yes. than, you know, in Paul's letters, through the Spirit we are grown up in all these mm. amazing gifts and we are changed and um, this here in John, this Spirit of truth, like can we imagine um, God confronting us, really disrupting us? Yes, that's right. You know, an advocate, if you think of, yeah, that image of something like a justice advocate or someone who really goes into bat for the voiceless or the the oppressed, it can be strident. Absolutely. And And very uncomfortable. And challenging and, yeah. So this advocate that's sent, and again we get this language of abiding in verse 17, like you know him, this spirit, because he abides in you. So there's a sense that this is something strange that's been given but also deeply familiar because it's actually part of who you are, it, yeah. you know, it reminds me again back to that Act 17 in whom living, we live and, and move. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I feel like so many people in particularly more liberal Christian traditions don't have a strong sense of the spirit. Yeah. We kind of, we can be a bit wary. That's what those strange Pentecostals do that we're not too sure about. It's, it's awful. That's true. Yeah. That's awful, yeah. And yet I would used to say to people when I was in a congregation, if you have any sense of the presence of God, mm. that is the Holy Spirit. Amen. Like that. that's how... We know God. That's like, right. We talk about Jesus and God all the time. Yeah. But actually, our any kind of spiritual moment we have is this advocate That's living right. in us. And how do us. we then cultivate practices that open us up yeah. to the Spirit? And so, I think like, the other thing about this reading in the context of Easter is it points again, and this happens throughout the New Testament, mm. to the ongoing experiences of the risen Jesus through the Spirit across communities. It wasn't just yeah. Peter and Mary who. Um, had encounters on Easter Day. No. Christian communities continue to make claims about ongoing experience of abiding, indwelling, the hearts of our eyes mm. opened. All of this kind of beautiful metaphorical language is giving testimony to what they're actually experiencing. Yeah. Um, and I just, that advocacy thing, like I think some of the movements that we're all called to, and sometimes it's joy filled and sometimes it's awful, mm. <laughs> but the movement from fear to love. You know, yes. from self-seeking to compassion, from competing or using power over to using our power for building up, all those kinds of movements mm. um, that the advocate, the spirit of truth will call us to. Yeah. And w- and we get left with this language of revelation too in verse – left as in where our lectionary leaves us in yeah, verse yeah. 21. <laughs> um, the passage keeps going. Uh, but, you know, there's something about – there's a connection here between our spiritual practices and our – way of being in the yes, world, right? exactly. You cannot claim to be this spiritual person who's in tune with God and has a deep faith if your way of being in the world is not loving. Oh, isn't that I love like, how this passage holds that together because I think that's one of the other things we can fear in the United Church is oh, spirituality becomes too self-obsessed and yeah. it's me and my God, where this is really clearly holding the inner abiding, this yep. ca- encounter with the spirit who will challenge us, mm. but so that we can move more and more freely into yeah. this radical love. And that's how Jesus is revealed. I reveal myself to them, um, you know, through yeah. through this loving embodiment of, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Well, we'll might leave it there. Yeah, enjoy everyone. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>